Good evening and welcome to the third and final installment of our Christmas series, where we've been exploring the significance of the gifts given to Jesus by the wise men. Firstly, Chris spoke about gold, and she explored how the gift of gold was recognition that this baby Jesus, born in an absolutely reeking stable, was a king. In fact, Jesus was and is the king of kings, and yet he came to serve. Next, Phil broke down the gift of frankincense, and he examined how this gift of incense, traditionally burned during worship in the temple, represented the holiness of Jesus and showed that this baby was God in human form, and he was the perfect truth. Now, if you were, like me, unable to be here for either of those first two talks, <laughs> or you have simply slept since then, which I hope you have, then they are actually available at Shiloh Podcast on Spotify and all good podcasts, not podcast platforms, podcast platforms. Um, I don't actually know how many podcast platforms they're on, but if you go to the Shiloh website and go to podcast, you'll find them there. And so that brings us to today. We've had gold, we've had frankincense, and that leaves me with the weird one. Myrrh. Myrrh is arguably the strangest gift, the most confusing gift. The greatest gift of all time? Let's see. Giving presents is hard. The idea is simple. Buy or even make something for someone that you care about that they are going to like to show that you love them and to make them happy. But in reality, it is so much harder. There are endless questions. What do they need? What do they want? How much money should I spend? Would they actually like this, or do I just like this and I'm hoping that they like it? Or maybe they don't like it and then I can have it. <laughs> In our family, I have developed a bit of a reputation as a gift buyer. Over the last few years, I have, on a number of occasions, been referred to as the wild card <laughs> when the Tuckers are giving each other presents. Now, crucially, this reputation has not always been a positive one, as my quest for creativity and unpredictability has sometimes led to me choosing presents that are surprising, as opposed to presents that they will actually like. <laughs> By way of example, some years ago, I decided that for my parents' 25th wedding anniversary, I was going to buy them a toaster. <laughs> now, I know what you're all thinking, and yes, you are right. It was a four-slice toaster. <laughs> now, at times, my desire to be inventive and original has, if I may say so myself, actually paid off, such as one of my personal favorites, this restaurant-style water jug, which now adorns our kitchen table every mealtime. But in other moments, my approach has attracted criticism from my family, who would sometimes say things like, Joel, what's wrong with just giving me some lip gloss? To which I would say, I just don't think it suits you, Dad. <laughs> it got so bad that my family have now banned me from buying Christmas presents from Valpy's electrical and hardware store. <laughs> my opinion hasn't changed, though. I still think that Christmas presents should be a surprise and they should have an element of risk. And that is why the gift of myrrh is the greatest gift of all time. That is why the third wise man is my hero. 
Now, at this point, I should say that nowhere in the Bible does it actually say that there were three or that they were all men, and they probably didn't visit Jesus on the night that he was born. But for simplicity, I like to imagine that one of them was solely responsible for the gift of myrrh, and that one is my hero. Why is the gift of myrrh surprising? Well, what is myrrh? In my preparation for this talk, I have done some research into myrrh, which is probably the bare minimum, really. Um, Myrrh, M-Y-R-R-H, apparently, is an embalming oil that, at the time, was most commonly associated with preparing the bodies of the dead. Myrrh was used in the process of preserving a body by delaying the natural effects of death. There wasn't just an element of risk in the gift of myrrh. There was a whole periodic table of it. Tonight, we have our youth secret Santa, and if I open up my present to find some myrrh resin, I won't be best pleased. Now, Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without some amateur dramatics. Thankfully, at Shiloh, we are blessed with theatrical talent. So could I please ask Matt and Ellie Ferryman and Lucy Allen to join me on stage? Now, I'm not that cruel. I'm going to give you a few minutes to prepare. So you go out somewhere, and Matt, Ellie, and Lucy will give the, the gifts of the wise men and to life. Now, um, whilst they rehearse, I thought it would be a good opportunity to get to know the people around us a little better. So in a second, would you all turn to someone sitting near you and ask the following question? The question is, what is the perfect kind of present you could receive? Is it something that costs a lot of money, something that you really need, something that you really want, or something sentimental? So what is the perfect present to you? Ask each other. Would anyone like to share? Anyone? Anyone brave enough to share? Go on, shout them out. <laughs> Lucy, that is wild. <laughs> A house. A house thought, okay. Anyone else? No? Okay. So, <laughs> for me, I, I love something sentimental, but the, the perfect present would be getting something like specific that I really, really wanted without somehow ever telling anyone anything about it. You know, I want to be surprised, but I want to be surprised with the exact thing that I want. <laughs> right, back to the talk. Um, as I said, not too much is known of the wise men, but I like to imagine that, yeah, there were in fact three of them, and that after they decided they were going to travel to Bethlehem to see Jesus, they split off to go get some presents. The part that I like to imagine is when the three of them came back together and showed each other their gifts. In particular, I'm thinking of like in the old Top Gear specials, when they'd go off, make modifications to their car, buy random things, and then come back to show each other. Now, I'm probably thinking of that because there was an actual Top Gear special when they pretended to be the wise men. And so, would we please welcome back our wise men? 
Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, and James May. Well done, thank you. Well done, Matt. That went even better than I could have thought. <laughs> Whilst gold and frankincense represent the royalty and holiness of Jesus, myrrh is a symbol of death. Initially, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Initially, it seems like myrrh was just a wildcard present that didn't land. But the gift of myrrh is far greater than a toaster. The gift of myrrh is the one that makes the least sense, but it is the greatest gift of all. Whilst the gifts of gold and frankincense demonstrate the royalty and holiness of Jesus, myrrh is a symbol of his purpose on earth. The gift of myrrh foreshadows Jesus' death on the cross, his ultimate sacrifice. For Jesus, who was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, was born so that he could die. Famously, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Myrrh was used to preserve bodies against the effects of death, but Jesus preserves our souls against the effects of death. God sent his son to earth. He who was rich became poor to take on every bit of our past, present, and future sin so that we could have a relationship with the living God. What an amazing gift. But can you toast four slices of bread at the same time? I don't think you can. Jesus is, for this reason, often referred to as the sacrificial lamb. So you could say that on that night in a Bethlehem stable, Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. I think sometimes we forget about Mary, even though she is literally the mother of Jesus. Now, speaking of mothers, at this point, I would like to refer to my own. And actually, her middle name is Mary. If I've learned anything listening to Chris's talks, I have learned that you should take every opportunity to tell stories about your mum, <laughs> especially if she isn't here to defend herself. <laughs> so here goes. Every year when decorating our Christmas tree, my mum gets out some little ceramic figurines that we have to hang alongside the, the baubles and tinsels and tinsels, tinsel and bows. 
There are four. It's one of Joseph, one of a shepherd, one of a wise man, and then we have the one of Mary and Jesus. Now, I think it is a nice ornament, with Mary wrapped in a little blue shawl and Jesus at her feet in a manger. It might not be the most realistic view of childbirth, but it's sweet. However, when directing where on the tree each of these figurines should be placed, my mother, every year, without fail, will say, Joel, put Mary and Jesus round the back of the tree. She doesn't go with the color scheme. (laughs) At times, given everything else that happened in the nativity and everything else that happens around Christmas, Mary and Jesus can sometimes be shoved around the back. At times, their relationship, which is at the center of the Christmas story, can be overlooked. That being said, there is one famous Christmas song about Mary. We wish you a Merry Christmas. No, um, the song is Mary, Did You Know? The premise of the song is a series of questions to Mary, asking if she understood the significance of the life of the child that she had just given birth to. One of the verses goes, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing it, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Now, some people are critical of this song, and I can see why. There are parts of the song which come across as classic mansplaining. Now, for anyone who does not know what mansplaining is, it is the, the explanation of something by a man, typically to a woman, in a manner regarded as a condescending or patronizing. So basically what I just did then. Many people have pointed out that might, whilst you know, Mary might not have known the exact miracles that Jesus would go on to perform, the answer would be, yes, Mary did know. Mary did know that her baby boy is Lord of all creation. Mary did know that her baby boy would one day rule the nations. And how do we know that she knew? Well, the Bible tells us. First of all, the Bible tells us that she was visited by an angel that told her. In Luke 1:31, we read the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. We can be pretty confident that Mary knew that her son was no ordinary baby, and she knew that he was the Son of God. The Bible also also tells us that Mary was familiar with, with the scriptures in which the birth of Jesus was foretold. For example, in Isaiah 7.14, she will have read, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. However, when finding out that she was going to be the mother of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I'm sure she was still shocked scared, and overwhelmed. But being a young woman that knew the word of God, 
I'm sure that immediately after the angel Gabriel left, Mary got out her Bible to go back to those very scriptures that spoke of Jesus coming to earth. That thought challenged me. When faced with something scary, overwhelming, that I cannot understand, how often is my first response to go and read the promises of God? Mary was given a unique gift, but we too are each given unique gifts. And at first, they may not make sense, or they may be confusing, scary, or overwhelming. But if we read the promises of God and put our trust and faith in him, we can have a peace beyond understanding and power beyond our own strength. So it turns out that Mary knew a lot, but there is one line in the song that I was drawn to in particular. It is, did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? This brief line asks the question, how much did Mary know of the purpose of the life of Jesus? I'm sure she knew that he was the fulfillment of God's promise. But did she know the pain that he would endure on the cross because of our sin? I've spent some time thinking about what those questions to Mary would be. And I think they would be something like this. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would suffer, bleed, and cry? Mary, did you know that your baby boy was born so he could die? Did you know that your baby boy would pay the biggest price? Your perfect little baby is the greatest sacrifice. I know that to any parent, the idea and reality of your child's suffering is probably the most pain that you could go through. The gift of myrrh might have been the first moment when it hit home to Mary that her baby boy was a sacrifice. And can you imagine how that would have felt? The first gift of gold. Your son is the king. He is royalty. He is sovereign over us. The second gift of frankincense. Mary, your son is Lord. He is God become flesh. The third gift of myrrh. Your son, Mary, will die. A sacrifice to atone for the sin of our broken world. He will experience immense pain and suffering at our expense. I can only imagine the effect of this on Mary as she wrestled with this thought throughout Jesus' life and after his death. I say I can only imagine because I have never experienced such personal loss. Earlier in the week, I was speaking to my friend Alina at work about my talk and what it was about. And when I said it was about death and sacrifice, she just looked at me and said, Joel, what do you know about death and sacrifice? And she was right. I don't know anything about death and sacrifice. So far in my life, I have never experienced significant grief or pain. And as such, it can be hard to relate to those intense feelings. But in recent years, I have found myself drawn to the writing of people who have. I used to be quite a keen reader as a child, mostly fiction and fantasy. But then 
I started to discover a love for autobiographies. I started to love connecting deeply with the story of a person's life. Now, I read almost exclusively three types of books. Books about football, books about faith, and books about death. Occasionally, I find one that spans all three. In Love Interrupted by Simon Thomas, the Christian football presenter who lost his wife, Simon speaks about faith and grief and loss and life. From his book and others, and after speaking to people who have suffered and who do grieve, I realized that once you have an experience of death, you have such a deeper understanding of life. Death and life are intrinsically linked. Death changes lives. But that is the beauty of the gift of myrrh. We speak of Jesus as the Prince of Peace and the Wonderful Counselor. Why? Because Jesus understands death, pain, and suffering. In Isaiah 53, we read a prophecy of the suffering of Jesus foretold. In fact, this is one of the scriptures that Mary, after receiving the gift of myrrh, would have likely gone back to read. Starting from verse 4 and from the contemporary English Bible, it says, He suffered and endured great pain for us, but we thought his suffering was punishment from God. He was wounded and crushed because of our sins. By taking our punishment, he made us completely well. All of us were like sheep that had wandered off. We had each gone our own way, but the Lord gave him the punishment we deserved. He was painfully abused, but he did not complain. He was silent like a lamb being led to the butcher, as quiet as a sheep having its wool cut off. He was contemned to death without a fair trial. Who could have imagined what would happen to him? His life was taken away because of the sinful things my people had done. He wasn't dishonest or violent, but he was buried in a tomb among cruel, rich people. The Lord decided his servant would suffer as a sacrifice to take away the sin and guilt of others. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, came to earth as a tiny, vulnerable baby and then endured our suffering and was, in, was crucified on the cross so that we could have a living relationship with God, despite our brokenness. In his book, One Morning Several Months After the Death of His Wife, Simon Thomas tells of crying out to God on a riverbank. He says, minutes after he found himself shouting at God, I sensed a presence alongside me on that riverbank. I felt the presence of Jesus. I could feel him just sitting beside me, crying with me. God knows that we live in a broken world, and he knows the pain and suffering that we endure. In our anger, we might cry out to God, how is it fair? How is it fair that we have to live in such a broken world? Do you not love us? But the perfect truth is, God loves us so much that even though we brought sin into the perfect world he created, he himself came to earth as his son Jesus to die 
so that we could have a relationship with him. Rather than judge us from heaven, God came to earth to suffer with us, to offer us life despite death. Before we ask the question, what is the perfect present? A perfect present is one that, once you have, you couldn't imagine your life without. That is what it is like to have the gift of a relationship with God, made possible by the death of Jesus. Jesus was born so that he could die, so we can truly live. And that is the greatest gift of all time. Can I ask Simon and the band to come back up? What we are going to have now is a brief time for reflection. Simon and the team will lead us back into worship. But first, they are going to sing, Mary, Did You Know? As they do, I encourage you to listen. You can join in if you want. But really, I encourage us all just to spend a moment reflecting on the gift of Jesus' death for us.